Hello, you some of my bitches. <laughs> Welcome to episode 123 of This Mushroom, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality television stars. It is me, Troy McEady, and well, you guys, we did it. Here we are. We are finally here. We made it to the finish line. This was one of the most, I will go out on a limb. I'm not surprised. You shouldn't be surprised either. But I will say that this is the most, um, the most sort of transformative uh, moment that I've had with this podcast. Like, I've really gone through some, I don't know, like some crazy, I've, I've, I've explored some crazy places in my mind when it comes to uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z. And I'm really happy with where I ended up. Like this episode ends sort of unexpectedly as far as my perspective of this of this couple. Um, but like, wow, like just wow, Bethany. Wow. Like what a crazy ride. You know what I mean? What a crazy life these two have had, both separately and together. Beyonce in her fucking girl group that she started when she was seven and how she ended up here, Jay-Z selling drugs and the projects in Brooklyn and where he's ended up. And like, here we are. And I mean, this is like this fifth part of the, of this, uh, of this Ted talk is, you know, it's probably the most intense part so far. Um, we are going to talk about the elevator today. We're going to talk about uh, Lemonade in really intense detail. There's just a lot of pop culture to get through today, I guess. And um, I'm not going to waste a moment of your time. I beat my note record, of course, duh. I mean, in hindsight, I beat it a week ago when I was on part four of a Beyonce and Jay-Z episode. But today, I officially took more notes than I ever have. And it feels appropriate. Um And like I said, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm just going to get right into it because we have so much to cover. I'm excited to end this chapter. This really opened me up and I'm so happy that I'm ending this right at the beginning of the new year because um, it just inspired me so much. Honestly, I feel so inspired and uh, and more open to like taking these sort of creative risks with how I cover these couples because if you had told me a year ago that one day I would do a five-part series on any couple, I would have laughed in your face. Um, but I like this, and your response has been amazing. You guys have been DMing me and letting me know that you like this format even more so in a lot of cases than um, than the way that I regularly do it. So I'm sure you'll be seeing a lot more of this in the future. I can't, I mean, I can't promise that everybody I talk about will be interesting enough to fill this many episodes. I mean, this really felt like a special occasion. But, uh, you know, I I like this format of kind of breaking it down more because it just gives you more time to think. Like, I really came to some conclusions today specifically that I wouldn't have come to had I rushed this and tried to put it in one part. Like, I'm in a completely different headspace than I was um, seven months ago when we started this. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling. Um, And this is not the last and final time, but um, one of the last and final times that I'll remind you to send me voice notes to smushroompodcast at gmail.com or emails or whatever you want. I would love to know your feedback on this five-part series, more specifically this episode, because I'm really going to be saying some things today that uh, that will polarize and, you know, nothing new, nothing new, nothing changed, same old shit. But um, 
I just would love to know you guys' thoughts on where I have have landed in this. Anyway, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Just to refresh your memory with where we left off, Beyonce and Jay have now given birth to Blue Ivy. Beyonce has silently battled accusations that her baby was a pillow by releasing grainy sepia tone video footage of her frolicking on a beach for HBO. Um, and also, I mean, I kind of touched on it, but life is but a dream is cited as probably the most bird's eye view we've ever been granted of this relationship up to this point. And it's sort of the most candid and honest they've been on camera about each other since they met. And, you know, retrospectively, you could argue that this was, well, intentional, given the albums that they were both about to drop, you know, specifically Beyonce, but we'll get to that in a minute, of course, I I can't give you all the eggs or whatever, because you will not buy my cow's milk. Um, Music-wise, Jay had just released a joint album with his protege, Kanye West, and Beyonce became one with Sasha Fierce, as to say... You know, Sasha now lives in her and isn't something she feels she needs to channel any longer. She just is Sasha as well as Beyonce, whatever. We are now entering 2013, which if you're a Beyonce fan, if you're a Jay-Z fan, that number should mean something to you. That year should should perk you up a bit, <laughs> kind of jilt you towards the side of the road a little bit. Um, it's probably one of the most important years of both of their lives uh career wise relationship wise um 2013 brought us the reincarnation of jay-z and beyonce as we know them now 2013 oh is the year that they decided to really lean in to their relationship as a full-blown brand and telenovela and just a a sweeping romance for the world to pick apart um Jay's 2013 project had been rumored since late 2011 with, you know, different producers sort of hinting that they had worked on something and that it was set to be released sometime soon. It was later revealed to the press that a few songs that Jay and Kanye worked on for their joined album had been set aside to appear on what would later become Magna Carta Holy Grail. Um, It was also revealed that Timbaland would be the executive producer on the album. Jay chose this sort of unconventional and to be honest, very shameless way of releasing his album through a Samsung commercial. Uh, The commercial featured him in this like sit down interview with Rick Rubin from Columbia Records. They were like talking about how the album is a reflection of him trying to remain true to himself after these very public successes and failures and blah, blah, blah. It also featured Timbaland and Swiss Beats and Pharrell and all these people who were tied to the album. Um, in other words, it was like this really weird, blatant cash grab, like Samsung, like what? Um, so they made the album available for free on July 4th to the first 1 million Samsung users on some app that he developed with them. And he would also release lyrics and photos and videos of recordings and him in the studio on the app every day, sort of leading up to the release And it did hold the spot as having the biggest uh, first week release and most streams per day in Spotify history. And, you know, it's interesting. 
Beyonce, or not Beyonce, but Jay-Z's album reviews have been really fascinating for me because I'm not somebody who listens to a Jay-Z album from beginning to end when it's released. I usually, I like the, I listen, I'm going to be honest, I'm not this person typically, but I listen to the singles and like there are random songs that I'll like discover, but I'm just not like, I'm not a Jay-Z head. Like I just don't care. And it's interesting. His album reviews are so spotty like for a man who is arguably the most powerful rapper in the world um he's not like a a uh like a critical darling you know what I mean like critics don't like live for his albums really and even though this album itself was this giant success and sold all these copies the reviews were like pretty bad I would say mixed at best, but like for the most part, pretty terrible. And I wrote down one from the AV club that real, of course, right. That really, I mean, really sort of, this is long as hell, but it really puts you in the mindset of like where Jay-Z was in 2013 and how different his career landscape was than his wife's and how sort of dependent Jay-Z has always been on Beyonce for like all reasons. We'll get we'll get more into that in a little bit, but I'm going to read this. So this is the AV Club. It's from 2013. They said, even some of Jay's biggest defenders joined the internet's collective eye roll when the rapper revealed with typical grandiosity via an unusual commercial during the fifth game of the NBA Finals that his new Magna Carta Holy Grail would be exclusively pre-released via a Samsung app. Even by the standards of rap's proudest capitalist, the Samsung sponsorship seems, uh, seemed unapologetic and shameless. When the mogul boasted about having Obama on the text in 2009's The Blueprint 3, it was assumed that the device lighting up was an iPhone and not a plastic, not-quite-iPhone with a weird hand feel. Then again, Jay-Z has always conflated commerce and fortune with authenticity. Throughout Magna Carta, he demonstrates a new fascination with fine art, shouting Leonardo da Vinci and the Mona Lisa. This isn't too surprising. It makes sense that a near billionaire running out of ways to burn money would eventually turn to collecting. But Jay's interest in art is, like so much of Magna Carta, nakedly superficial. In one of the record's cockiest lines on the blustery, obliviously goofy Picasso baby, the rapper spots his daughter near one priceless piece of art and tells her, go ahead and lean on that shit, Blue, you own it. Like everything in Jay's world, art is replaced art is replaceable that the art is a replaceable commodity its value lies merely in the fact that it has value it's in the same spirit of collecting expensive art without appreciating it that jay assembles a roster of high-end producers and guest features on magna carta justin timberlake this is fucking amazing you know i really like i just like finding articles that shade justin like no matter what and if they apply then like consider it done Justin Timberlake, who was about to share a tour with Jay-Z, even though the rapper is seemingly the only living artist that he doesn't share an effortless chemistry with, is completely miscast as a mewling Bruno Mars on the overstuffed opener Holy Grail, which hits bottom with a few clumsy borrowed bars from Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. This is the best part. Throughout it all, Jay is flacked by Beyonce, who, in addition to her feature uh, on Part 2 Run the World, lends assists and ad-libs to several songs. She's his unwaveringly popular first lady, and he's the overly cocky politician hiding behind her when his own platform falls short. The most common below-the-belt knock against Jay-Z is that he's old, old enough at 43 to have parented many emerging artists. His real problem is even more fundamental than age. 
Jay-Z owns one of rap's greatest narratives. A hustler from the streets climbs his way into wealth and eventually unfathomable influence and power. It's a remarkable, distinctively American story, one that countless rappers have co-opted but none have been able to execute on the same scale. The problem is that the narrative is over. It came to a logical conclusion in 2003 when Jay retired at the top of the world, and it received an unexpectedly graceful epilogue on 2011, on 2011's Kanye West collaboration Watch the Throne, which found him reconciling his impossible success and adjusting to life in high society. The tractors dismiss Watch the Throne as two wealthy men bragging about how rich they are, even though Jay-Z's contributions in particular were dense and sociopolitical, with sociopolitical anxiety and personal reflection. The bulk of Magna Carta, however, really is just an obscenely rich dude gloating about his spoils, where West continues to introduce new twists in his ever-unfolding story. With Jesus, he's reinvented himself as rap's most compelling villain, while Jay has remained static, frozen, permanently in victory. This basically sums up everything I've been trying to say for like three weeks. Jay-Z's albums get consecutively more and more picked apart for being these commercial triumphs that don't mean anything anymore. You know what I mean? This album is Jay really leaning into these these issues and these these things that people have been complaining about for years, that his music has over time become more and more vapid. And people went from being overly influenced by him and like singing about, you know, cigars and women in private planes to really wanting him to just shut the fuck up about it. You know what I mean? People were like, we get it. <laughs> An entire album dedicated to gloating about your status as the wealthiest drug dealer turned rapper is tired. And like the AV Club said in the article, he's been doing this since 2003. Um, but I also, the thing that I love the most about that article is that they do mention the fact that Jay, Jay hides behind his wife when he needs to. I think he's very aware of the fact that Beyonce makes his public perception better in just about every way that counts. Um, like, you think people would really give a shit that Jay-Z was releasing a single or releasing an album on a fucking Samsung app if he wasn't married to Beyonce, they just simply wouldn't. A Samsung app? No shade to uh, to Android users, but girl, come on. The AV Club said it best. Like, what rapper gloats about having a fucking Samsung tablet or whatever? Do you know what I mean? No shade, but like, tea. You know what I mean? Tea. With that being said, Beyonce was featured on the song Part 2 on the Run, which was described as a spiritual sequel to O3 Bonnie and Clyde and a reference to to the to, 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 a reference to the privacy and speculation surrounding their relationship. Um, some of the lyrics, very paraphrased, Beyonce says, who wants the perfect love story anyway? Cliche. Who wants the hero that saves the day anyway? Cliche. What about the bad guy goes good, yeah? An innocent love, I'm misunderstood, yeah? Um, black hourglass, hourglass, toast to the cliches in a dark past. I hear sirens while they... I, th this part's actually really prominent. I hear sirens while we make love, loud as hell, but they don't know, they're nowhere near us. <laughs> I will hold your heart and your gun, I don't care if they come. Of course, alluding to the fact that no matter what, no matter what we speculate 
Beyonce and Jay know exactly what we're saying and what we think the narrative is, and they're laughing at us while simultaneously dinging, as Alanis Morissette, the proverbial carrot, all the way to the bank. And you know what? Good for them, because literally nobody does it better. So honestly, good for them. Like, good on you. We are now going to dip our big toe into an album that I have been so, you know what's coming. I mean, come on. I've been so excited to talk about this since we started this whole thing. I mean, talking about this album was like a major reason that I wanted to even do this. We are now going to, I'm getting, oh, I'm flustered. Oh, well, we're going to be talking about Beyonce's self-titled album, Beyonce. So four months after giving birth to Blue Ivy, Beyonce did a three-night residency in Atlantic City that she told the press was intentionally meant to empower women to not feel guilty about continuing to focus on their careers after having children. And she was asked to sing the Star Spangled Banner at the Obama's second inauguration. Uh, She also headlined the Super Bowl and became the queen of like the Hulk meme and reunited Destiny's Child. And it should be noted that um, she was, I mean, truly tied to a cross and burned at the stake for lip syncing at the inauguration. This was actually one of the biggest scandals of Beyonce's career up to this point, Um, which is hilarious because everybody knows that it's mandatory and it's something that literally everyone has to do. But in typical Beyonce fashion, she said absolutely nothing for 10 straight days. And then opened up the Super Bowl halftime show press conference by belting the most incredible, soulful, live version of the Star Spangled Banner and ended by saying any questions. Honestly, iconic. Sorry, but like, iconic. Um, Also, by the way, another side note, and I know that there's like an endless number of memes from the Super Bowl of Beyonce looking like Hulk or whatever, but for me, and this is my personal preference, (laughs) nothing compares to seeing Michelle's thin body be torpedoed out of the stage and look just I mean truly have a look of like pure and vulnerable terror in her eyes as she attempts to stick her landing and I know that like poor Michelle tropes were actually pretty tired but it is hilarious to me watching Michelle this soft-voiced Christian woman with not a lick of stage presence, (laughs) perform next to Beyonce, of all people, this, like, powerhouse. And the moments where, I mean, and this goes for any, you know, Destiny's Child performance ever, but, like, the moments where Beyonce, like, you know, cues her to sing, where she says, like, Michelle, sing it, girl! And then Beyonce, Michelle's like, just gives you baby voice, Dolly. If I surround myself with positive things, like I just, I die. Like I live, I live, laugh, and I love, honestly. But this was a very transitional and very interesting time for Beyonce because she hadn't released new music in a couple years up to this point, aside from stuff that she had done with Jay. So there was all this speculation surrounding the release of a new album or at least a single, anything, Um, people were as sure as the sky is blue that she would be giving us all this new music for the Super Bowl. Like, what sense does that fucking make? That she's going to debut a bunch of songs that all of America doesn't know on America's largest stage. But, you know, (laughs) when it comes to Beyonce, we allow delusions to take over our brain. 
that obviously didn't materialize, which led to more speculation. Uh, we then cut to March, and a demo track titled Bow Down, I've Been On, was uploaded to Beyonce's SoundCloud and sent the girls into the truest definition of a tizzy. I think if you look tizzy up in the dictionary, Beyonce is mentioned. For one thing, this was the furthest and most out there song we had ever heard from Beyonce. This was not irreplaceable. This was not sweet dreams. This was not ego. This was her telling every girl in the industry and every woman who admired her as a child or teenager to bow down and respect her. And it's worth mentioning that before the Beyonce album, she had never really released music that you could describe as, in quotes, weird or experimental. So hearing this very strangely produced demo where she's aggressively sing rapping was a lot for the general public to have you know thrown at them like a fucking hot potato i mean the most aggressive thing we had ever really heard from beyonce at this point was like ring the alarm maybe you know and i like even that song still feels very commercial whereas bow down doesn't feel commercial at all like the fact that that song got played on the radio um is is wild because it's such a not radio friendly song where she's literally screaming bow down bitches like a marvel villain <laughs> i think to say bow down was um uh controversial would be an understatement you know there was a very mixed interpretation of the song and of course beyonce remained totally silent which is something i completely forgot by the way that this song was like this sort of viral controversial moment like people were very divided about you know, if this was positive because she was empowering women or if it was negative and disrespectful because she was calling her fans bitches. It was a whole thing. Um, but she and her team didn't murmur a single word about the nature of the song, about what it meant, about what it was for, you know, if it was going to be featured on an album, if it was going to be on a soundtrack. People had really no idea what this was supposed to be. I think generally people were like, why is Beyonce mad at us, A? And B, why is she screaming at us on SoundCloud? Like, what is going on? Um, and there was even more confusion after an H&M commercial featuring Standing on the Sun was released and clips of Grown Woman were uploaded online as well. The media started to speculate that, you know, maybe she had recorded an album, but she ended up scrapping it because, you know, she lacked direction, which is like laughable. And, you know, there was a possibility that, you know, the public's reaction to bow down decided, you know, it gave her the decision to back away, which looking back is hysterical to think that Beyonce would trash an entire work of art because people misinterpreted lyrics from a two minute demo. Like Beyonce just sends the country into these hysterics that really make absolutely no sense. You know what I mean? Like, we just lose our minds. Um, and as a side note, because we'll never be able to talk about this again, I'll never forgive Beyonce for not releasing Standing on the Sun as, you know, a single or whatever. Like, put the damn thing on iTunes. You can't even stream the song. You have to YouTube it. And I used to get so excited when that H&M commercial would come on because it meant that I could body roll for 60 seconds that song is so underrated 
literally pause my voice and listen to it on YouTube right now. The H&M version, not like there was like some other weird version that came out later that isn't as good. The original version of Standing on the Sun is just everything. Um, anyway, the real tea is that Beyonce and Jay were living in the Hamptons at the time and they had this super unconventional process for recording this album. So basically what they did was set up their house to be this like sort of pseudo music camp. And they had people like Justin Timberlake and Sia and the dream who would come over. They would swim, they would eat dinner They would go on bike rides. They would stay the night. They would allow these people to come and go as they pleased. Um, They, you know, some of the producers would spend several days there, several nights. They would be there for a week. And Beyonce would basically hang out with Blue all day and then spend like several hours completely devoted to this album. Um, And it should also be mentioned that the main person in charge of this album was a completely unknown homeless artist who goes by Boots. He's very mysterious. Not many people know much about him or where she found him or what happened. Um, But he's, you know, multifaceted. He can sing, he can rap, he can produce, he can write. He plays all these instruments. And he really is to thank for, like, setting the tone for, like, what this album became. Jason Gay, who interviewed her for Vogue in 2013 before the release of the album, said, There's an obsessiveness about detail in Beyonce's artistic life. In her studio are elaborate vision boards to simulate her creative process. Photographs, writings, reminders of past achievements. There's a cover of her 2003 album, Dangerously in Love. There are photos of her Grammy performances with Prince and Tina Turner. Song concepts, potential titles. There's so much stuff up there, she says. It kind of feels like a beautiful mind right now. Beyonce says her new music is a lot more sensual, empowering. It celebrates being a wife and a mother, reflecting the the obvious changes in her life. Right now, after giving birth, I really understand the power of my body, she says. I feel like my body means something completely different to me. I feel a lot more confident about it, even being heavier, thinner, whatever, it doesn't matter. I feel a lot more like a woman, more feminine, more sensual, and no shame. Beyonce was released at like 2.30 in the morning on December 13th of 2013, Without any promo, uh, without any announcement or, you know, real buildup at all, um, she told the press that she was bored with how her music had been marketed previously and wanted to reinstate the idea of an album release being a significant, exciting event. She released EXO and Drunken Love as the lead singles from the album. And here's the thing. EXO was major and incredible, amazing, show-stopping, everything, but... Drunken Love was a meteor-hitting-the-earth moment, and I think that you would all agree with me. I don't know if you were lucky enough to be drunk in a bar, even more specifically a gay bar, during the week Drunken Love came out, but I have never been more embarrassed of my behavior. I, I mean, and that's tea, like, for real. Beating my chest, sweating, doing, like, really intense like vocal riffs and you know singing that song with an invisible microphone like I'm 14 in my room with a hairbrush exposing how truly high-pitched and feminine this voice can really get to the general public who who's none the wiser I mean just really gallivanting without a care in the world hitting whistle notes like 
that was such a moment, that song coming out. Like, it brought out the absolute best and worst of me. And can we just take a moment to talk about the actual release of this album and what it felt like? Beyonce did something that, even if she hadn't accomplished anything else in her career, she would be remembered for in a profound way. Not only did she stab, basically stab an adrenaline syringe in the music industry, let's be real, but she reminded us of how important actual albums are during a time when the industry really was only focused on singles. Uh, And she also cemented herself as someone whose albums are to really be taken seriously as a whole, you know what I mean? As As a whole piece of art. And I mean... That alone is a, is a massive career achievement. Like, you can't really say that about Beyonce before 2013, that she l- released albums that everybody in the world felt like they had to listen to from beginning to end. That just wasn't the case. She's at a point in her career where her entire album is basically one giant single. Like, and that, I'm sorry, but that's, that is pop star excellence. Her entire album is a single. Everybody who listens to Beyonce knows every even okay look there are fans who were not as intense Beyonce fans before 2013 and that's an undeniable truth right because this album was so all-encompassing everybody who listened to this album listened to it from beginning to end and knows every single song you know what I mean and there there are Beyonce albums that I know but don't know every word to and every song from And that's just not the case anymore. She's not that artist anymore. If you're a fan of Beyonce, then you know every single song from the albums that she releases because they are a giant single. And aside from the business element of it, she created a forced emotional response to the release of this album. Even if you weren't a fan, we all remember where we were and what we were doing the minute that album became available on our phones. You guys know that I'm up all hours of the night. I'm always recording this podcast at like three, four in the morning. And I remember getting an alert in bed, ripping the comforter off my body and texting my friends who, of course, were all sleeping because they're normal people and being like, Beyonce just broke the internet at 3 a.m. Get the fuck up, you dumb bitch. You have no idea what you're waking up to in the morning. These texts are going to be relics. Save these text messages because we'll look back on them one day and be able to say that we remember the night that Beyonce truly broke the internet. I literally said in the previous episode that so many of our biggest, you know, collective celebrating as one moments in the past 10 years when it comes to music have been thanks to Beyonce. And that is now her legacy. That's what she's going to be known for. It's what she'll always be known for. And I mean, I, I would imagine it's what she's going to continue to do for the remainder of her career. Um, also, it wasn't just that she had released a new album. The excitement came from the fact that she released a visual album with 14 songs and 17 high-concept art, beautifully constructed music videos that reflected everything she was feeling about her extremely private marriage. The press release stated that the album was designed to be consumed as a comprehensive audiovisual piece from top to bottom. The antithesis of making singles, the visual album is non-linear and is a journey through the thoughts and visions of Beyonce. This was made to feel like the consumer was experiencing something special. 
Uh, it sold 80,000 copies in two hours. iTunes crashed because so many people were trying to buy it at once. I I want to say that Beyonce was mentioned, I think it was one, uh, 1.2 million times on Twitter the hour after it was released. 1.2 million times. In a Variety article that came out in 2013 after the release, they said, For all the power of her voice and otherworldliness of her beauty, Beyonce has rarely come across like a flesh-and-blood figure on her records. Her fifth solo album goes to great lengths to correct that shortcoming, swapping out her signature inspirational bromides for genuine personal insight. This is an album full of drunken kitchen hookups, Instagram-instigated suspicions, bouts of postpartum depression, and sex-stained blouses. Worlds away from the high-concept disassembling of I Am Sasha Fierce, or soft-focused, self-directed documentary treatment she gave herself on this year's HBO Curio, Life Is But A Dream. Here's what I'll say about this album, and I'm going to contradict everything I've said so far because that's literally my brand. For as cold and robotic as I've claimed Beyonce to be over the last four episodes, I do have to give credit where credit is due. Artists claim for their albums to be vulnerable and raw in almost every album promotion cycle because duh, like why would they not, right? But Beyonce is vulnerable on her self-titled in a way that actually makes you uncomfortable during the first listen. It actually makes you feel like you're hearing something that you shouldn't be hearing. And that is amazing. And I think maybe like I'm so far removed from it because you know, I've listened to it 7 billion times and it came out seven years ago, which is insane, that I forgot how agape my jaw was when I first heard some of these songs. All of them, to be honest. The way she very openly explores sexuality in like a, what feels like a very raunchy, unapologetic way, jealousy, loneliness, fear, anger, I could go on, honestly, and I will. <laughs> uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to rattle off some of my favorite lyrics on this album because what is the point of doing this if I don't? In Jealous, which is, in my opinion, one of the best songs on the album, one of the best Beyonce songs of all time, quite possibly the saddest and most heartbreaking song and video she's ever released. She sings about how frustrating it is that Jay gets to run off and get swept up in his own world while she is expected, even though she's Beyonce, she's still expected as a wife to kind of wait for him. And that's his expectation too. Uh, she says, I'm in my penthouse half naked and I cook this meal for you naked. So where the hell are you at? Just one shot left in this drink, in this glass. Don't make me break it. I wish that you were me so you could feel this feeling. I've, I never broke one promise and I know when you're not honest. And now you've got me yelling because I'm jealous. If you're keeping your promise, I'm keeping mine. Which I later, I mean, it took me so long to realize that that's a threat. Where she's saying, like, if you don't cheat on me, I won't cheat on you. You know what I mean? Like, and then in the, the actual saddest part of the song, she says, Sometimes I want to walk in your shoes and do the types of things that I never, ever do. So I take one look in the mirror and I say to myself, baby girl, you can't survive like this. Then she goes on and basically, instead of waiting for him, she puts her best like freakum dress on. She goes out. She dances on tables. She runs into her ex. 
She even goes as far as to flirt with him just to make Jay jealous, even though he's not even there. And she ends the song by saying, and I hate you for your lies and your covers. I hate us for making good love to each other. I love making you jealous, but don't judge me. And I know that I'm being hateful, but that ain't nothing. I'm just jealous. I'm just human. Don't judge me. Literally, like, somebody hooked me up to an IV. I'm dead. Like, reading those lyrics are more powerful than hearing them. And I'm a lyric person, if you haven't noticed. Like, I'm a psychopath when it comes to that. I literally sometimes have a hard time listening to songs or, like, fully embracing them if I don't like the lyrics. I'm just, like, not the person who can whatever you know what I mean and like I just this song is just it's the one that I go back to without any question the most from this album we are now approaching a very pivotal and uh debated moment in Jay-Z and Beyonce's legacy a moment that will be remembered and talked about you know for years to come and debated we'll get into all of it the elevator yes yes we are we are finally here. This is what you came for. In spring of 2014, Jay and Beyonce announced their On The Run tour, which would be the first tour that they'd ever headlined together. A month later, all hell had broken loose in the form of Solange Knowles wanting Jay to know that she is the baddest bad girl in this house. Can we have a very quick side chat about this infamous elevator moment I'm going to run my theories by you. You can run them by me and we will kiki and smoke parliaments over it. So on May 7th of 2014, Jay Beyonce and her sister Solange attended the Met Gala together. As we all know, TMZ later obtained footage of Solange whooping Jay's ass in the form of slaps and kicks and punches and heel stabs to the gut and crotch. And in the video, you can see a, segur- uh, a security guard trying to restrain her and hold her back. You can also see Beyonce making a very minimal effort to step in and then stop and just kind of lean against the wall, which I completely relate to. I think it's actually the most relatable Beyonce moment I've ever seen because I, too, am the person who, during a fight, will just Princess Peach around and not want to get involved, but also want to see everything from every angle. Like, I'm never, ever going to be the person who breaks up a fight. Unless it's somebody that I really care about and I see that they're getting hurt. I'm not the person who at a bar goes up to strange douchebags and says, hey, bro, like, break it up. No, I sit my drink and I step back against the wall and I watch glass fly and heels break. I'm not that person. So I got it. It was later revealed that the person who worked at the hotel um, sold the tape to TMZ for twenty five or $250,000 and was immediately fired from his or her position as camera person or whatever, allegedly. Now, as far as why and how this incident started, people have many theories. I've mentioned in the last episodes that, you know, this man who wrote a book about Beyonce's life claimed that this whole thing was planned and set up. Others say that they had firsthand view of Solange being provoked by Rachel Roy after running into her at this party. There are other people who say that they heard Jay say something wildly inappropriate to Solange that made her snap. Um, It's also alleged that Beyonce stepped in 
and told Rachel Roy while she was having words with her sister to never speak to her or her sister again, to which Jay did nothing and set Solange off. We'll never know. One source told People Magazine that her interaction with Rachel was actually very short and that she was seen screaming at other people during the party, not specific to Rachel. Uh, He told People Magazine, Jay said something inappropriate to Beyonce and Solange, um, and she snapped. And when they got in the elevator, it escalated very quickly, the way family tensions can. It got exceptionally heated, the way family moments can get. Solange is super protective of Beyonce. Now, I'll tell you that that, for me, sounds like a paid source. It sounds like somebody who was planted and told to give an exclusive to People Magazine. Um, Because the wording is very similar to the statement that Beyonce and Jay and Solange released as a unit. We'll get into it. Um, We do know that Beyonce left with Solange after the incident and that Jay took a separate car. Um, Another People Magazine source said, as they exited the the Standard Hotel, Solange looked mad as hell, but was surprisingly not disheveled. Um, As she got into the small sedan, they all went up to the same car. Solange, who was walking a few steps in front of the couple, entered first. But once Jay-Z got to the car, he hesitated, getting in, and eventually um, walked down the block and got into a different car. Meanwhile, Beyonce uh, very quickly stepped into the car and uh, got carried away with her sister. Um, so this is the statement that Jay, Beyonce, and Solange released to the Associated Press. As a result of the public release of the elevator security footage from Monday, May 5th, there has been a great deal of speculation about what triggered the unfortunate incident. But the most, but the most important thing is that our family has worked through it. Jay and Solange, uh, each assume that they're share, they share responsibility for what has occurred. They both acknowledge their role in the private matter and um and the role that they played and the role what <laughs> uh that this played out in public they both have apologized to each other and have moved on and look forward to reuniting as a family uh the reports of solange being intoxicated are displaying or displaying erratic behavior throughout the evening are simply false at the end of the day families have problems and are no different Um, And we are no different. We love each other. And above all, we are family. We've put this behind us and hope that everyone else will do the same. And every time they've ever spoken about this, it's always been the, you know, family's fight narrative. We're just like you. We fight. You know, we get into arguments. We're family. We're just (laughs) everyone's family here. They give the old Applebee's approach. Um, So that's why that source above that just said, like, you know, they got into a family dispute. That's all. It felt very planted to me. And the PR machine kicked into high gear at this point. Like Solange did an interview with Lucky Magazine where she said, you know, things are all good. We're family, blah, blah, blah. And not to pass up an opportunity to turn this into a marketable think piece, uh, Beyonce released the Flawless remix where she references the incident by saying, of course, sometimes shit goes down when there's a billion dollars on an elevator. Um, Jay also addressed the incident in 2017 on his 444 album, Um, where he said, you egged Solange on, knowing all along, all you had to say was you were wrong, but you gotta do better, boy, you owe it to Blue, you had no father, you had the armor, but you've got a daughter, you've gotta get softer. Um, He also said in an interview with Rap Radar, we've always had a great relationship, we had one disagreement ever, before, uh, before and after, we've been cool, 
Um, he said, uh, she's like my little sister. We prote- I protect her. That's my sister, not my sister-in-law, uh, my sister, period. It's also worth mentioning that a bloated Matthew Knowles, who we haven't spoken about yet, uh, also gave an opinion on this when he was on the Wendy Williams show. He said, this is amazing. He said, I laughed so hard because if you know Solange, that's Solange. You just know, or he said, you just never know what you're going to get with her. She's a firecracker. I don't know where she gets that from. And then Beyonce would be in the corner, quiet, just kind of like, when y'all going to finish, let me know. And can I just say how much I love that now that Matthew Knowles no longer manages Beyonce, he like will spill tea. And he does it like obviously very intentionally to show a little bit of fuck you. You know what I mean? And I, I kind of love it because he just doesn't give a shit like he's like in a phase in his life where he's like I just don't care like I don't care about this whole Jay-Z and Beyonce facade uh you know there's some more really funny Matthew Knowles quotes in this episode that I had to I had to include um you guys now we're talking about lemonade it's finally happening the moment the the pinnacle of this whole episode the moment that I was the most fearful of talking about but I will tell you walk into your fears gals because it actually really empowered me and really I just felt so just uh inspired by having to revisit this and take notes so I'm really excited to get into it similar to Beyonce's self-titled album Formation was released without any promotion or build-up on February 6th of 2016 even though at this point like her fans are a little bit more wise and understood that there was something happening um formation is without question beyonce's most politically charged song to date and it signifies a moment in her career where she you know wants the public to know that she's not only unapologetic about being a black woman but that she's unapologetic about all the things that come along with what it means to be a black woman her southern roots her hair, her daughter's hair, her nose, her body, her parents' bloodline in Alabama and Louisiana, and the fact that they conceived her in Texas and that she's proud of being from Texas. And this was especially profound for the time, obviously because this was like a a really peak Black Lives Matter moment. You had all these people, you know, coming at Black Lives Matter from all these different angles and having all these interpretations of what it meant and who was allowed to celebrate it and why it was important and if it should exist or if it shouldn't exist. It was, this was like a a, a really hot button issue. And then you had Beyonce who basically was just like, let's just unapologetically embrace what it means to be black and celebrate it while also staying informed and getting in formation, if you will, with one another And by the way, that double entendre will never not make me feel things like girl. Um, I also just want to point out how sort of surface level that can seem to someone looking in from the outside. But you have to understand that for a black person, it actually feels like a rebellious act to unapologetically celebrate your blackness in this country because we are raised to think that we shouldn't or that we aren't allowed or that we should only do it in the privacies, the privacies of our own homes. And the things that make our culture unique are routinely stripped away from us to the point that most people forget where it came from. 
that ord's just described and discarded as ghetto until a white person embraces it and then all of a sudden it's not ghetto you know what i mean i don't i don't i don't get it and i know everyone has their own interpretations of like appropriating culture and i think the twitter police have taken it and run with it in a direction that i don't necessarily agree with personally but for me and i've said this actually many times on the podcast I don't necessarily get upset when I see somebody respectfully taking part in another person's culture, as long as they're not being an asshole. What I get upset about is things like the Kardashians making cornrows a fall fashion trend, and then all of a sudden, every basic lip-plumped Brazilian butt-lifted white girl who can't think for themselves anymore because... The queen of body dysmorphia, Kylie Jenner, has ravaged their brains and their abilities to uh, think rationally is now gone. When you see these people on Instagram talking about like their boxer brains, boxer brains, when black people have been told for decades that having braids and dreads and cornrows and afros is, you know, inappropriate in a professional environment and can cost you your job or get you kicked out of class, etc., it's fine now, though, that Kylie Jenner wore it, you know, while she's, like, spreading her asshole open on the hood of a car. That shit drives me insane. You know what I mean? Like, my motto is be inspired, but don't be a cunt. It's simple. Like, you can be inspired by something, but don't be a cunt. And I'm sorry, but, like, the Kardashians are cunts about their appropriation, and that's why it upsets people. It's not because they're ignorant or because they're they're like it's not because they're ignorant and unwilling to learn they know what they're doing and they're cunts about it and they like to push and see how far they can go and if nobody says anything then they lean in so seeing Beyonce with her head hanging out of the window of that car on the cover of formation and in the video with her long as shit braids blowing in the wind really actually means something to millions of people. And it means more to them than an Instagram photo. It means more to them than a Luke. You know what I mean? It means feeling represented and seen and heard by somebody who has a lot of power and who more people respect than any president we've had in the last 20 years. Also, and this is my last rant, I promise, it's important for people like Beyonce to remind the general public that Black culture is not love and hip-hop or the Real Housewives of Atlanta. None of those things are what it means to be black. You know what I mean? But these are the things that a really massive majority of people in the world, specifically in this country, believes defines black people. And I don't know, I guess I'm proving every point I've ever made about Beyonce that maybe it is okay that Beyonce chooses to make her political points via her music because she knows how much more impactful the reach will be and her words can't be twisted I don't know rant over I don't even know what else to say I mean I really like you're witnessing me come full circle basically um and it also by the way must must be stated that Beyonce did perform Formation the day after it was released at the Super Bowl and started quite the uproar because she performed in a Black Panther-themed costume. Pierce Morgan was not having it and tweeted about how he preferred 
the old Beyonce to the one who uses grieving mothers to sell records, referencing the fact that Lemonade featured Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, and Eric Garner's moms holding photographs of their dead sons. Um, apparently he took offense, which like we really need to stop validating Pierce Morgan's buffoonery with responses and like anger because it fuels his career and sells books. Like, let's just stop doing that. Um, boycott Beyonce was trending on Twitter, to which Beyonce uh, started selling Boycott Beyonce merch for the tour, which is just iconic. And as mentioned previously, Lemonade had a similar release to um, Beyonce self-titled, but the difference was that this premiered on HBO as a feature film instead of having, you know, 12, 16, 17, whatever, separate music videos. Lemonade also became known as the album that disrupted the album cycle, uh, though she had basically already done that before by releasing self-titled uh, self during like mid-December, right before the end of the year. And Lemonade is fascinating because it takes what she did with her self-titled album and it really, really leans in. Self-titled was an album that featured these sort of random like musings about her career and her relationship and her sexuality and motherhood and all that stuff that we talked about. But Lemonade is an album that is specifically about the experiences of black women and the stages that you go through after a betrayal in your relationship. Um, in 2016, Vox did in, uh, a review of the album where they said, unlike the pop superstar's previous surprise album, 2013's Beyonce, the, uh, the music here is edgy, full of vitriol, and R-rated real talk. It's equally aggressive and reflective, and Beyonce, a bona fide cultural phenomenon, unveils yet another layer of her wide-ranging persona. In years past, when Beyonce was still amassing her wealth, she tended to play it safe, making music that appealed to all sorts of people. None of it was ever as harsh, and sure, she would address real issues, but she'd focus more on big pop anthems that went down easy. Lemonade is a tough listen. It's tinged in rock, hip-hop, R&B, and electro soul. Beyonce opens herself more, gets more personal, and as well as her recent work, she does it in her own terms, embracing the creative freedom that so few people are able to enjoy. And I think that, like, what I've come to realize is that as Beyonce has pulled back her public persona year after year, she's become more and more open in ways that actually matter. And I think when it's all said and done, I'm actually okay with that. I guess I would rather hear Beyonce talk about important issues on an album than watch her do these like pre-scripted bullshit album cycle interviews with Ellen and play flip cup with fucking Jimmy Fallon. Like I, at this point, I almost welcome it because I am so exhausted by our current press cycle. I hate it. I don't give a shit who is going to be on Carpool Karaoke. I don't give a shit who's going to do impressions on Jimmy Fallon. I don't give a fiddler's fook who is going to shoot hoopies with Ellen. I don't care what wacky shit people say on Jimmy Kimmel. I don't care. I don't care that Madonna taught Jimmy Fallon the Vogue dance. Wait, can I go on a quick rant? Like, can we talk for a second? Because apparently this is something that I feel like I need to talk about. I used to love late night television. I've told you many times in the past that I grew up in a Letterman household. And 
David Letterman used to mean so much to me when I got old enough to realize how not full of shit he was in comparison to Leno, who had bullshit spewing out of his ears. But now that's everybody. And those days are so long gone. And I mean, to be honest, we need it right now more than we ever have. Late night shows used to be an institution in this country. And thanks to Jimmy Fallon, who at some point just became the late night Ellen, we have to watch everyone try and come off as down to earth and relatable in one of us. And I'm fucking sick of it. I'm over it. (laughs) I'm, by the way, officially a geriatric. It's over with for me. My youth is dried up. Holy shit, I am officially an old man in a recliner, like, screaming at a nurse for literally no reason. Uh, fuck. (laughs) Someone strap me down before I try and go to the grocery store by myself. Um, I guess in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is that I would rather everyone only say shit when they mean it at this point. And this is wild. Where I began this whole journey and where I'm ending up is really on two completely different sides of the spectrum. And I'm okay with that. Now, I haven't lost my edge. I'm not an idiot and I don't believe everything Beyonce and Jay-Z sell me, which we'll get to here in a minute. But I do appreciate that Beyonce doesn't, she doesn't partake in bullshit. I don't want to see Beyonce play the whipped cream in the face game on Jimmy Fallon. I don't care. So I like that she doesn't participate in that. Anyway, Lemonade was broken down into chapters, 11 chapters to be specific. Um, Intuition, which connected to Pray You Catch Me, Denial, um, which was connected to Hold Up, Anger for Don't Hurt Yourself, uh, Apathy for Sorry, Emptiness for Six Inch, Accountability for Daddy Lessons, uh, Reformation for Love Drought, Forgiveness for Sandcastles, Resurrection for Forward, hope for freedom and redemption for all night then the album ends with formation which is like sort of its own separate entity from the rest of the songs and this is such an explosive overwhelming piece of work that like if you're interested maybe i could do like a bonus episode or something actually breaking down this film because it's way too much to try and get into as a whole on this episode Um, and I have way too much to say about it. If that's something that you want me to do, let me know. If not, like, it's cool. I'll just allow my very clearly autistic brain to just kind of calm the fuck down. I'm happy either way, but I would totally do it if you guys want to hear it. Um, I will add, though, for the sake of tying up loose ends, because you know I hate those, (laughs) All Night is quite possibly the most beautifully written song of forgiveness to ever exist the perfect way to end an album, the perfect explanation of why loving someone means you forgive them for doing something unfathomable to you. When you look at the bigger picture and realize how, you know, much more important your relationship is as a whole than this moment. And I wrote down some of the lyrics, of course, paraphrase, because I'm not a psycho. (laughs) Uh, I do have boundaries, but um, I wrote down some of the lyrics because I just feel like this song really perfectly describes the next step that their relationship takes, which I think is the point. Um, 
she said, I found the truth beneath your lies and true love never has to hide. I'll trade your broken wings for mine. I've seen your scars and kissed your crime. So many people that I know, they're just trying to touch you, kiss up and rub up and feel up on you. Give you some time to prove that I can trust you again. I'm going to kiss up and rub up and feel up on you. She goes on to say that she'll fuck her man literally all night. She will make love all night long. He's all she wants. There is no other. And she remembers during said lovemaking why she loves him. Um, and then she says, our love was stronger than your pride. Beyond your darkness, I'm your light. If you get deep, you touch my mind. Baptize your tears and dry your eyes. Then in the most gut-wrenching part of the entire song and maybe the whole album, uh, she says, they say true love's the greatest weapon to win the war caused by pain. But every diamond has imperfections and my love is too pure to watch it chip away. Nothing real can be threatened True love breathes salvation back into me. With every tear came redemption and my torturer became my remedy. Again, wheel me over a fucking IV before I pass out where I stand. Are you kidding me? Huh, fuck. Of course, as soon as Lemonade was released, the country went into full Harriet the Spy and started pinning lyrics on people and attaching dates and uh their whereabouts during said time to you know lyrics mentioned in random songs several rachels were sent death threats and were swarmed by uh b emojis like a full-on fucking black mirror episode obviously we're going to talk so on april 21st of 2016 rita ora posted a photo on her instagram wearing a sheer bra with lemons over her nipples. Um, we'll never know whether or not she was joking or if it was harmless, if she was trying to be cheeky or passive aggressive. But either way, the hive one in her body spit roasted over a fire. Um, and she, oh, by the way, she was also wearing a gold letter J necklace. So she was basically asking for it. And people dug up photos of Rita Ora hugging Jay inappropriately and, you know, spammed her social media with them. She then took the photo down, of course, but obviously screenshots never go away. And then Rachel Roy, who had, you know, obviously been known to be married to Jay's former business partner, <laughs> partner uh, Dame Dash. The rumors of Rachel being the one who Solange flipped out on, resurfaced, and the Hive took it upon themselves to try and get her to literally, I mean, basically commit suicide via social media. Uh, the morning after Lemonade's HBO premiere, she posted a photo on Insta with the caption, good hair, don't care, but we will take good lighting for selfies or truth or, or self-truths. Always live in the light. Hashtag no drama queens. This obviously references Beyonce's year-defining lyric of You Better Call Becky with the good hair. And I will say, just as a side note before we go any further, I don't care who you are and I don't care what your thoughts on are, thoughts are on Beyonce. I don't care how much you stand her. I don't care if you're a part of the fucking hive. I don't, I, these, this isn't appropriate. Beyonce's fans are inappropriate and it bothers me. 
It bothers me that Beyonce's fans are inappropriate and that Beyonce doesn't care. This is when I started to get upset with Beyonce for not speaking. Because when you have Rachel Ray of Food Network and the color orange fame being sent millions of death threats from teenagers who are confused, bitch, say something. Step in. Tweet. Do whatever. Write a fucking... Have your people write a Facebook post. Do whatever it is that you do. But, like, this is inappropriate. Beyonce is aware that her fans are inappropriate and she allows them to attack people in a way that is, in my opinion, just not okay. It's just not okay. Anyway, we then have the bloated Matthew Knowles of it all because Beyonce did, in fact, co-write a song called Daddy Lessons that more or less describes her dad, you know, warning her as a little girl to watch out for men like himself who cheat. And there's actually several references to Matthew in the movie. In one of the spoken word interludes, she says, you remind me of my father, a magician, able to exist in two places at once. In the, tra- in the tradition of men in my blood, you come home at 3 a.m. and lie to me. What are you hiding? So post the album's release and after the media's speculation, Beyonce continued posting photos of Jay on her Instagram and continued with the formation tour. And I would hate for you to think that I've, like I said earlier, that I've lost my pessimistic edge. I haven't at all. I've really waxed poetic about Beyonce and Jay for a good three pages. So I I do feel it is my duty to make it clear that many, 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 many people do believe that this entire thing was a ruse and, you know, that this perfectly timed, you know, concocted situation was lit by Jay-Z and Beyonce themselves. And as I stated last week or the week before or whatever, you cannot allow yourself as a healthy, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume that you're a healthy, a healthy minded individual because we all are, right? <laughs> um, if you're following me, uh, you got to be mentally health, mentally strong. You can't allow yourself to believe everything that comes out of Jay-Z and Beyonce's mouths, especially when they don't talk. And I don't know, I don't care, look, I don't care how much they inspire you. I, 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 you know, that's none of my business. I love your love for them, but you have to use common sense in realizing that nothing Beyonce releases to the world, especially something of this magnitude isn't planned to obsessive perfection. An inside source told Page Six that just like the Bonnie and Clyde characters they created in 2002, they've developed these storylines to sell albums. Lemonade is a movie created to drive sales. Jay and Beyonce are entertainers at the top of their game. Do you really think that Jay would release an album on his own record label um, or his own streaming service title if it really was about him, he is 100% behind this. They're marketing masters. They're pros at this. They're more, the more attention, the more they sell and the better. All of the speculation is to get press when they need it and lemonade is much deeper than infidelity. But that's the focus. As long as people are talking, they don't care. Another source told uh, page six, and these are just kind of like different theories that Becky is a composite of many women and that Beyonce isn't calling out one girl as Becky, it's many girls. 
The rumors have been around for years. Beyonce had the baby and was like, what am I doing? This is what my dad did to my mom. She really looked at herself. Uh, she really looked at herself. And Jay is now a great husband. And this is in the past. They went through a rocky patch, but things are good again. The video was about finally coming to terms with her strength and their love. And again, Mr. Bloated himself has his own theories. Matthew Knowles date gave an exclusive i told you matthew doesn't give a fuck anymore he gave an exclusive saying that he did in fact think that the whole elevator thing was fake he basically outed them and he said they needed something to ignite that tour it's called a jedi mind trick a jedi mind trick fools you a lot at times he said all i know is that everyone is talking about it ticket sales went up solange's album sales went up 200 percent. they got what they wanted and this is the man who taught beyonce how to jedi mind trick so i mean you know what I mean? Um, I will say Solange really looked like she was trying to kick a hole through Jay's stomach. Death becomes her style. Like, I don't know. It's weird. And I do also think releasing hidden camera footage and involving the hotel seems like such an overly elaborate scheme. But how random is it at the same time that for the first time, literally ever, a public figure as prominent as Beyonce and Jay-Z, the world's most private couple, would have something like this happen to them. Though it's never happened before and likely won't ever happen again. But you know what? I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. In February of 2017, they made an announcement that they were pregnant with twins and posted the first photo of them in July of 2017, which became the most liked photo on Instagram of the year. Jay also released his response album to Beyonce's Lemonade, which in my opinion, showed their cards. Jay releasing a perfectly timed album that responds to the one his wife made about him cheating that you know they probably wrote together during their tour I mean, come on. In the title track of the album, he essentially apologizes to Beyonce in an open letter. He says, look, I apologize. Often womanized. Took for my took for my child to be born to see through a woman's eyes. Took for these natural twins to believe in miracles. Took me long enough. Uh, took me too long for this song. And I don't deserve you. I harassed you out in Paris. Please come back to Rome. You make it a home. We talked for hours when you were on tour. Please pick me please pick up the phone. I said, don't embarrass me instead of be mine. That was my proposal for us to go steady. That was your 21st birthday. You matured faster than me. I wasn't ready. So I do apologize. Um, he also did a very rare interview with New York times where he admitted to cheating and said he shut down emotionally and went into survival mode. And they headlined their On The Run tour together in 2018 and renewed their wedding vows. They also released a joined album under the name The Carters called Everything Is Love. I'm sure you can guess what that's about. I'm not even going to really get into it. I know that a major criticism of the record was that Beyonce outshined Jay. What else is new? And made it more apparent than ever that she is the true driving force in their relationship. And this is where we are. This is where we're, le we're leaving off. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. You know what I mean? I think, I truly think I've said it all. What I will say, my closing notes on this, is that 
even though I feel like I have a more clear understanding of how I feel about Beyonce than I did before I started, I still am confused and enticed by her, which I guess is like her whole gig. Like what I realize is that I'm no different than anybody else and I'm just falling into Beyonce's trap, but I'm a little bit more pessimistic of it than most people. That's all. It took me five weeks to understand that that's really all that there is to it. Um, I'm excited this is over. Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of Beyonce'd out a little bit. You have to be too. But I will say, if you want me to do that bonus episode, I will. If you don't, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Uh, next week, I think we are going to do a fictional couple um, or just something more lightweight and fun and easy because I just need that. Like, I need to do something that doesn't require too much work, honestly. And uh, thank you guys for being so supportive during this journey. I'm really excited for 2020. There's some, I can't like say it, but there are some really big, exciting things happening with this podcast in 2020, some changes being made, just things happening and things that I'm really excited about and things that I hope that you are excited about once you hear them. Um, I want I want to lean in like, you know, I've been doing this now for Let's get vulnerable for a second at the end of Beyonce and Jay-Z. I've been doing this now for like, what, three years? And um, I think that like, I have not fully come to terms with the fact that this is no longer like, just a little side project that I started with Molly, you know, through a Facebook group. I mean, it's means so much more to me now than it did then, obviously, because I've been, a, I've been doing it now for so long. And um, it should reflect that. So like, there are some big changes coming that I'm really excited about. I'm getting delusional and weird. Like it's like really late here and I have to stop talking. I need to get off the hot mic. Anyway, I, I feel like my, my mouth is filling up with like foamy spit. Like I gotta go, but I love you so much. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey. I will actually, I'm going to skip church Sunday. I think I'm, I think I'm good. I, I think I'm good. Me and God are good. You may need to go, but girl, I'm sitting this Sunday out. So have a good one. And uh, I love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to This Mushroom, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. Also be sure to head over to patreon.com slash ebpsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.